Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be up here and to be speaking, to get to share the word that God has placed on my heart with you this morning. Today we're moving into a new series because one of my favorite holidays is coming up, Easter. I love Easter so much. Easter Sunday has always been one of my favorite times of the year where we get to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But in order for us to properly understand and celebrate Jesus' resurrection, we have to talk about the significance of his arrest, of his torture, and of his crucifixion. So today we're going to start in Mark 14. So if you have your Bible app or you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Mark 14 with me. And we're going to be reading uh, verses 32 through 41. The Bible says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So some context for this passage that we just read. Jesus knows that he is about to be arrested and killed. And he has uh, just finished eating dinner for Passover with his disciples. So Passover was the time that the Jewish people would come together and they would celebrate um, the time that God delivered the Israelites in Egypt from the spear of death that was sent to kill all firstborn Egyptian children, right? It was one of the plagues. And so each year the Jewish people celebrate and remember that God delivered them from that. So Jesus had just eaten the Last Supper with his disciples. He had broken bread and said, this is my body, take, eat. And then he had given them his blood, the wine, and he said, drink, this is my blood. And then at this dinner, he also predicted that he was going to be betrayed by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. And so then after dinner, he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Everybody say Gethsemane with me. That's a fun word. Ready? Three, two, one. Gethsemane. Thank you. I was going to have you guys do it again, but you actually did it. So we'll do it just once. That was really great. Thank you guys for following along with me. So Jesus goes out to Gethsemane, which means um, olive trees. The garden was filled with olive trees. And he takes his closest three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, I am overwhelmed. I'm distressed to the point of death. Can you keep watch with me? And so he goes further into the garden, and he prays, and he says, God, I don't want this. In Luke 22, 39, which is Luke's version of the story, we're going to be reading mostly Mark's, but we'll get to Luke's later. Luke describes Jesus' sweat as thick as drops of blood. 
So we have this picture of our powerful savior collapsing into a puddle of fear, anxiety, and anguish. It kind of makes me think of a scene from the 1978 version of Superman in which Lex Luthor has tricked Superman into opening a box of kryptonite. And you can immediately see the fear in Superman's eyes. Like he sees that kryptonite and he's like, oh no, this is the end, this is it. And so he's all of a sudden weak. The big, strong, invincible hero that is Superman is suddenly able to be thrown around easily on the ground and Loth Luthor's good. Lex Luthor's henchmen, which they're not even that big. Like in this version of the movie, like they're just like normal guys and they're like throwing Superman around on the ground. And I watch this and I'm uncomfortable. I'm like, oh no. Like Superman is being beaten up so easily right now. Like it might as well be me, like my little 5'2, Sky would say 5'1, 120 pound self. Like it might as well be me fighting those guys because he's just getting thrown around. And it makes me uncomfortable because we don't like watching Superman seem weak, fearful, and human. We need Superman to be more than human if he's to be our hero, right? And I think it's the same discomfort that we have with Jesus' weakness and the same reason that so many people of that time didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior. Because they expected the Messiah to come riding on a horse and wipe out the entire city of Rome, which was in uh, control of the Jewish people at the time. And so they thought, why would our Messiah come as human, as weak, like us? And we see that Jesus is undeniably human. In the face of his arrest, torture, humiliation, and death, Jesus breaks down. He feels every single terrible feeling. He feels human, and he laments. Lament is a word used to describe what it means to come to God and to cry out in pain, in frustration, disappointment, in fear. And Jesus laments. He begs God to take this cup from him. He doesn't want it. In the great book of the Bible, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, we read that um, this is a Broadway play, for those of you that don't know what Jesus Christ Superstar is. It's kind of like supposed to be a, like a remake of this, like a retelling. And some of it is kind of like way out there, but I thought that this was really beautiful. The lyrics to a song that Jesus is supposedly singing in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this, I only want to say, if there's a way, take this cup from me, for I don't want to taste its poison Feel it burn me. I've changed. I'm not as sure as when we started. Then I was inspired. Now I'm sad and tired. He then goes on to say at the end of the song, all right, I'll die. Watch me die. See how I die. Then I was inspired. Now I'm sad and tired. After all, I've tried for three years. That's how long Jesus' ministry was. It seems like 90. Why then am I scared to finish what I started, what you started, God, your will is hard, but you hold every card. I'll drink your cup of poison. Nail me to your cross and break me, bleed me, beat me, kill me. Take me now before I change my mind. We don't know the exact words of Jesus' prayer. We get from Matthew and Mark and Luke um, a picture that he is asking for the cup to be taken from him, but he prayed for three hours. 
And he was so anguished that he was sweating drops as thick as blood. So I can imagine that he was saying all sorts of things. And we don't know exactly what that is, but we do know that he was distressed. He was asking God to take this cup from him. He was lamenting. He was scared. He was broken out before the Father, and he was fully human in those moments. This part of humanity, our weakness, it's the hardest part to accept. There have been so many times in my life when I have had someone walk up to me and I'm just, I'm struggling. I'm really walking through something hard and someone asks me, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm great. You just paste the smile on, you know, the mask goes up, right? We've all done it. I see Brittany nodding out there. Yeah, I know I'm not the only person in this room who's done that. It's hard for us to accept the brokenness and the weakness that is humanity. But in this part of the Bible, in this part of Jesus' story, we see that Jesus Christ, the picture of human perfection, knelt down in a puddle of his own sweat and tears and begged God to take the pain he was about to endure from him. He lamented and said, God, I don't want it. I hate this. I'm scared. I feel weak. I feel broken. He felt the hurt and the pain, and he wasn't made any less perfect for it. Jesus sees the pain that we walk through. And not only does he see the pain that we're walking through, but he knows what it is to experience the pain and the suffering that we're walking through. Sure, Jesus might not have experienced every single hard thing that we walk through himself, but he does know the feelings that go along with it. He understands loneliness and betrayal I mean, in, these, in this chapter alone, we see that Jesus goes back to his friends and he looks for support. He looks for solidarity. And they're sleeping. They're sleeping through the hardest night of his life. He felt alone. Later on, we see that Judas, one of the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples were handpicked from many people who followed Jesus. They were his closest friends. And Judas betrays him. Jesus knows what it is to feel betrayal. He knows what it is to feel fear and doubt and anguish, physical pain and torment, emotional pain and torment. He knows what that's like. And that means that in his love, he experiences our pain right along with us. We don't worship a God who looks down on us and says, oh man, that looks like it really sucks. I don't know what that's like because I'm God, you know, I don't have to experience pain. No, Jesus Christ knows what it is to experience pain. And when he sees us hurting and in anguish, he feels compassion and empathy. So Jesus is broken out before the Father, and he's asking for this cup to be taken from him. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done, God. He sets his selfishness aside for faithfulness, and for love of others. Jesus felt weak and broken. But instead of being selfish and running away or using his power, we know that God's powerful. We know that Jesus Christ had all of the power of the Father within him. And that he could have gotten away if he wanted to. He could have said no. He could have defeated the people coming to capture him. I mean, we know this. We've watched the things that have happened in his ministry, he has power, and he could have used it to get away. But instead, he says, this is more important. 
and he gives himself up. So we're going to read Luke 22, 47 through 53. The next part of this story goes like this. It says, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking to his disciples saying, come on, my betrayer is coming. A crowd comes up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So in other words, Jesus is saying, really? You're going to come at me as if I'm a violent criminal when I've spent time with you and you've seen the ministry that I do? Jesus goes peacefully. And not only does he go peacefully, his disciples try to protect him and he heals the one who is persecuting him. He heals the person who comes to arrest him. And why does he do this? He did it because he loves the people that he's about to die for. And who did he die for? He died for the lost. In Mark 2, 17, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to heal the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus didn't come for the people who had it all together. He didn't come for the people who knew everything. He didn't come for the people who were following all the rules and doing everything right or who understood. He came for the sick and the hurting not for the perfect, but for those who were sinful and broken and sick. He came for you in your darkest moment, and he came for you in your hardest, scariest fight. We're going to watch a video by a woman named Nadia Bowles-Weber, and Nadia is a Lutheran pastor. She is an absolute spitfire. Like, you'll see, she's like Oh, she's got to be in her 50s now. Um, she's got gray hair that's like cut super short, and she's got tattoos all over the place, and she's just kind of crazy. <laughs> she says some really outlandish stuff. But this video is just so incredible, and I think that the words that she has in it really speak to what Jesus was, ex what Jesus was experiencing and um, fighting for in the garden. So we're going to watch this. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt. Those who aren't sure. Those who can still be surprised. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who've buried their loved ones, for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who've loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. 
Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones for whom life is hard, for Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are those without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burned out social workers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers. Blessed are the kind-hearted NFL players and the fundraising trophy wives. And blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. You are of heaven, and Jesus blesses you. When I watched that last week, my response was just, wow, that is it. And I just felt Jesus say to me, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Nadia's point in rewriting the Beatitudes from Matthew 5 and 6 is to point out that Jesus spent time with tax collectors and lepers and sinners. She says, blessed are the wrongly accused, the forgotten, the unemployed, the ones without documentation, the ones without lobbyists, the overworked teachers, the closeted, the sex workers, etc." She calls out these people that society and churches have said are unwanted that aren't worthy of being touched, that aren't worthy of being welcome in. So I'm gonna stand up here and I'm gonna say something that might be a little controversial, but I'm gonna tell you that Jesus didn't come for the perfect people. Jesus came for sex workers and for closeted LGBTQ people and for drug addicts and alcoholics and struggling people for the sinners and he surrounded himself with those people in his life. So if the church has ever told you that Jesus didn't come for gay people or trans people or sex workers, those who have had sex before marriage, those addicted to drugs and alcohol, those who have caused division in their family, people who are sick, people who are broken, and people who don't believe that I'm here to tell you that I'm sorry and I don't know that Jesus. The Jesus of the Gospels that I read is a Jesus that came and surrounded himself with broken hurting people. A person who came to a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well, a person who would have been completely avoided by any other Jewish person, a woman who had been with five different men and said, go and be the first evangelist. A man who picked up a woman caught in adultery after telling the Pharisees that whoever hadn't sinned could throw the first stone at her and told her to go and sin no more. My Jesus walked into the face of torture, death, and humiliation, feeling absolutely terrified, alone and broken, and said, I love God, and I love these broken people enough to give up everything, to give up my security, to give up my comfort, to give up my health and my body for a bunch of people who put me on that cross, a bunch of people who are actively persecuting me, a bunch of people who are hateful, who are cruel, who have sinned. Those are the people that Jesus came to save. And if you feel like you're one of those people, I have really good news for you. Jesus came with reconciliation. He came with forgiveness and love and grace and healing. So if this morning you come in and you are wanting to know if you're wanted, 
Whether you are cisgender or transgender or black or white or divorced or you've had premarital sex or you've been cheated on and you feel broken or you're the one who did the cheating, whether you don't know how to stop being mean to people, you don't know how to take the walls down, whether you are sick, whether you have depression or anxiety and you feel like that makes you not enough or broken, I'm here to tell you that Jesus understands your hurt and your suffering and he loves you right where you are. You are loved. Jesus came and he died a brutal death on a cross for you and he would have done it if you were the only person to die for. So I want to challenge you as we move forward from this moment to share the hope of Jesus Christ with the people who seem really far from grace, whether that's the homeless guy on the corner or a sex worker, whether that's your alcoholic father or your bisexual friend, and you're scared, like, oh, man, these are the type of people that, like, the church doesn't talk to, like, ugh. No. I want you to say, I don't care what society says. I don't care what the church says. This is what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said, we want you. I also want to challenge you to quit holding in your lament. Maybe you're watching this online or you're in this room and you're like, man, she said, she said the thing. She said that thing that nobody talks about. But I'm dealing with it. And it's heavy. I want you to know that you can bring that to God. You can say, I'm disappointed. You can say, I'm mad and this hurts and I don't want to carry it. You can say that and you can say, God, I'm struggling. And I can guarantee you that Jesus Christ will get right down there in the dirt with you. And he'll experience it with you. He'll love you through it. We're going to take a moment and we're going to just pray. I'm going to give you a moment of silence, a whole 60 seconds of awkward and we're going to use that 60 seconds to express our laments. Whether you're watching and you feel like you are the person who the church has shunned and you're hoping that there's a place for you and that's your lament today, saying, man, I have really been hurt and I'm struggling to find my place. God, show me where that is. Or maybe there's a huge obstacle in your life that you're facing and you're thinking there's no way around this. How are we going to get through it? Give it to God. I can't promise you what outcome will come, but I can promise you that my God wants goodness for his people and that he sits with you through the hurt.